Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back. Hi, everyone. Hope you guys are staying positive, testing negative. I saw that on a meme and I needed to incorporate it. And that's what I'm doing because we're in this post-COVID life and this is reality. But anyway, we're very excited. We're just going to get right into it. Today, we have a very special guest, Haley Moss. She is a leader on diversity inclusion, autism, neurodiversity in the workplace, employment policy, accessibility, and lawyers with disabilities. I'm going to let her kind of give a little bit of background about herself. But Haley, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. Thank you both for having me. I have been looking forward to talking with you since the day that I heard that you were interested in having me on. I'm like, wow, this is going to be so much fun. <laughs> I know we like, we scoped you out. Our producer is so good at finding people that I think are listeners and obviously just that we are interested in talking to. And Haley, can you kind of give a little bit of background about yourself to our listeners? Sure. So we're just going to go through the quick, this is like the cliff notes version because I feel like I can be here all day talking about yeah. myself and then I get, re- I get really self-conscious just talking about myself at Lane. So a little bit about me is I am a Florida attorney. I'm autistic. I am the author of Middle School, The Stuff Nobody Tells You About, and A Freshman Survival Guide for College Students with Autism Spectrum Disorders. I also have an upcoming book coming out about neurodiversity for lawyers, so we could actually do better about serving our clients Mm -hmm. and serving lawyers who are neurodivergent as well. I'm always up to something, I feel like, and yeah. I'm really excited that I get to do the work that I do. So getting to blend the personal and the professional of being both an attorney and being an autistic person, hopefully advancing the fight for disability inclusion at work and in all aspects of society. It's something that I get very, very excited about. I mean, you're very passionate about it, and it takes a lot of courage and I think bravery to really find that blend, right? Because you could so easily Mm -hmm. get just burnt out with the labeling, right? Like, oh, you have autism, right? Like, is that something that you experienced Mm -hmm. like when you were younger or in college or even in law school? How did that kind of pan out? I mean, like, I never really had a problem with people knowing I was autistic. So I really kind of came out with it very publicly, at least in school when I was in high school. So I kind of got outed by a teacher and I embraced it at the time. I've written about it for Teen Vogue. I'm very proud of who I am. Mm. But I do realize that people are very quick to jump to conclusions Mm -hmm. and bias. In my career, I've noticed it in law school. So people often even think that I have to prove my competence Mm. very often when other people have the presumption of competence. So I have to work twice as hard to show that I'm capable of doing the exact same thing as a non-disabled person. And it gets very frustrating. And then people will be like, you're superhuman. And it's like, I don't want to be superhuman. I just want to be, you know, a person. I don't need to join 50 nonprofit boards and do this and write law review articles and do that and listen that just to prove that I belong to take up the same space that you do. Right. You don't want to have to. You don't get the luxury of being average. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, you work as hard as someone else and but I think you said it just right the superhuman when it's like mm-hmm. no I'm capable like and that that is exactly. tough. That's something we see a lot unfortunately mm-hmm. because I think and what we love about how you are just so open and why we wanted to have you on the podcast is that I think the stigma around autism really 
makes parents and even, you know, mm-hmm. younger teens afraid. So true, you know, I meet a lot of young people who are especially ashamed. And I realize something that I think a lot about is there's a poem by Laura Hershey called You Get Proud by Practicing. And the end of it basically mm. says something that goes, you aren't the one who made you ashamed, but you're the one who can make you proud. Yep. I think that's a pretty accurate paraphrase oh, at the end absolutely. of the poem. Yeah. And I think about that a lot is a lot of the stigma and stuff is really not so much that autism is seen as a bad thing, but it's much just how much our society has these barriers that exist for autistic people mm-hmm. and that we aren't working to break down. Look at just even how the legal system works and how we perceive different things. If we perceive people who don't make eye contact as not trustworthy and we right. automatically right. are pigeonholing based on these systems and societal and cultural beliefs. So if we kind of deconstruct some of that, we will be in a better place. That's kind of what I see as well. And that a lot of systems include that do interact with social justice, whether it's education or the criminal system, the environmental justice, racial justice, all of these things have roots in anti-disability policy and belief and ableism. And it's really interesting when you see it through a historical perspective. So disability rights history isn't something that I've taken a lot more time to learn about and see where we've come from. Because I think a lot of us, especially attorneys, we think that progress happens really, really slow because we know how long a lawsuit can go on for. Right. And then when you look at things from a historical perspective, you realize things actually move a lot quicker than you would like to believe. Mm-hmm. And I think so it makes me very hopeful. Yeah. And I think that you hit it right on its head, you know, the institutional and societal barriers that I'm sure that you, you know, it's not like, oh, hey, we're so proud of you because you have autism and you became an attorney, right? It's like, no, 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 it's not. I get that a lot. Right, I, I right. Of, I usually grin and bear it pretty well depending on who I'm around. But yeah. when it's someone that I know fairly well, I've, I'm like, I don't want to be celebrating this because one, I know there's plenty of us and a lot of us don't say anything because especially in legal, mm-hmm. we have this whole perceive that anything that like a disability, you're suddenly weaker or less and you don't want to be perceived as weak in this profession whatsoever. Right. right. Which is also why I'm sure that we could be here all day talking about the ways that the various bar associations like to tackle <laughs> mental health stigma. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Right. Like we, we could be here all day talking about all these fun attorney things. But for the lay people out there, most lawyer organizations love to talk about mental health because attorneys are very anxious, stressed and depressed. Mm-hmm. And they're very awkward in dealing with it. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, being able to kind of find that balance between, you know, sharing your experience, but also, you know, going into Mm -hmm. the workplace and talking about inclusion, you know, it seems Mm -hmm. as if it would be very, it would just come naturally, but it's so foreign and awkward to so many people. (laughs) It really really is. And I think a lot of folks struggle to separate the personal and the professional. They try mm -hmm. to separate the personal and the professional they don't realize that one that they complement and inform each other right yeah so they think i meet a lot of attorneys i meet a lot of attorneys and sometimes their parents have autistic children at the same time Uh, and they don't know which bucket to place me in that they'll look uh, at me and go are you like my child or are you my colleague and i'm like why not both interesting and then there's times i have to be seen that i'll be seen as an an expert just as a self-advocate and then i get frustrated it's like no it's not because i have this lived experience but i also went to law school i did the thing Right. Right. So you do the same thing that everyone else. It gets really frustrating because you have people don't know how to place them both in the same bucket. Mm. Yeah. And when we often talk about inclusion, we often get in this battle because a lot of people think, well, inclusion is hard. 
because it's you're taking something and you're taking a, a round hole and you're trying to put it in a square you know box and that's not really no. i mean you're already assuming that the person that you're trying to include can't do the things and we really fight every day to try to say no inclusion is about giving everyone the same mm -hmm. expectation the same exactly you know basic understanding it's you're already making assumptions if mm -hmm. you think if you think inclusion is going to be hard you're already making assumptions mm -hmm. about that person that you probably have no idea so it's exactly it's about trying to look at the individual and until they prove you that something's going to be difficult we need to be assuming and not assuming that and it is to presume confidence all around Absolutely. And that's what happens to me, especially socially. If people think that they know what's best for me or what I'm going to struggle with, and it's like, let me be the one to make that decision. Right. Instead of excluding mm. me based on what you think is the right thing to do. Because, like, I am someone who does very poorly in very loud and very crowded spaces sometimes. So, like, certain restaurants are really bad, bars and clubs. Like, when I was in school, like, that's what people would do. Right. And it's right. like, I'm not a party girl. I never have been. But people would, invite, would not invite me because they'd be like, oh, you won't be able to handle it. Like, let me make that call. Ah, I see. And do you feel it would have no. been and they would, better? And they would say like, we're not inviting you because we love and care about you. Know it's going to be a lot for you. And it's like, but can I make that but, call? Right, right. So it's it's about asking you first rather than assuming. exactly. Like exactly. even if they think, yeah, it might. You know, I'm being maybe I'll actually want to go. I, mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe you're. You know, it's different, and maybe you know, even I think that prospect of asking, and I think that's what we try to say with like teachers all the time is don't make these assumptions with the students that they can't or don't want to do certain things. You need to ask them first because the individual can make so much of their own mind and, and not just that, but like they can tell you how they feel until you get that information. You really shouldn't be, I mean, for anyone, you shouldn't be passing judgment on someone just because you have a perceived you know, whether it's a bias or just even if you think you know because of what you've seen or heard, you know, I think mm -hmm. asking things goes so long way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think asking is the best thing that you could do. And I feel like we are very bad about asking because we're afraid to say the wrong thing. Absolutely. And what I always tell people, like, look, say the thing. And if you say something very wrong or offensive, I'm happy to talk it through with you. I'm happy to call you in and we can learn and do better together. Like we all screw up. It's just facts. Especially on things and when it comes to marginalization, there are things that we don't know about because it's not our experience. We don't know if we're accidentally being ableist or we're doing something and it's, we all learn. I know that I still learn from people who have mental health conditions or physical disabilities. Like I still am learning things and confronting my own biases too. I confront different things when it comes to like implicit and explicit bias overall. We all are, especially in wake of what's been going on in our world with increased calls for racial justice. We all learn things from experiences we don't have. Absolutely. So that's kind of how I see it. Absolutely. Is that we call people in and we all do better together. Like, don't be afraid to ask a question. And I think that, you know, a lot of people just shame themselves, right? And we're living in this mm -hmm. cancer culture and, you know, it's okay to make a mistake and correct it, right? And I think that's the mm -hmm. space that we need to allow people, like you're saying, mm -hmm. in order to ask those questions. And, you know, grade school, they'd always be like, there's never a dumb question or whatever, right? Just to try to make you feel comfortable so that you could end up asking <laughs> a question. And I see that all the time. And, you know, in IEP meetings, you know, before I go to an IEP meeting, I always tell the parent, look, it's going to appear as if I'm asking very simple questions that I should know the answer to. However, 
whatever, this is an opportunity for you to understand something that maybe you didn't understand or for me not to have preconceived notions about something, right? And just getting the conversation going. And I think that kind of puts people at ease. You know, I'm not in their face and, you know, telling them that they're doing X, Y, and Z. And I think that, you know, for you to come out and say, look, I'm still learning. Everybody is still learning. And the only way that we can get through this is together, right, is to go through it together. And I think that's something that people oftentimes just ignore, right, because it's easier. Absolutely. I kind of want to talk about your experiences in law school. Were you already (laughs) kind of thinking, hey, you know, I want to go to law school and I want to do this area of the law or, you know, it kind of sounds like your speaking engagements and the inclusivity that kind of start in law school. Or did you already have an idea of that being something that you wanted or did you just fall into it? I went to law school thinking I was going to be a disability rights attorney and working for the government. Like, that's what I thought that I was going to do. And you have to remember, I went into law school right at my 21st birthday. So I was very young, very excited, and I didn't really know everything that was out there. And then, of course, as you have more experiences in law school, you start realizing, wow, there's just so much to do. And I realized that neurodiversity is something that is really important to me and that we haven't been very good at addressing within the profession and outside of the profession. So it is something that was always a passion. I've been involved in autism advocacy since my early teens. But I realized how much work there was to be done, especially in legal, especially because lawyers are just leaders in society overall. Look at how many of us are in every kind of position of power. Look how many of us are in government. Look how many of us are in policy and are the major decision makers. So did you like always have a thought that you wanted to go to law school or did that come from the advocacy work you were doing like in high school? I thought I was going to go to med school at first. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) So what changed? Taking chemistry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) And then I kind of went back to the drawing board and I had to think about, well, what is it that I enjoy? What is it that I want to do? And I thought it's easier to figure out like, what am I passionate about? And I love to write. I love to talk to others. And I know that anything I do has to make a difference. And then I kind of realized that's what lawyers do. Yeah. So I was not, I did not major in poli-sci. I did not take like an AP government class. Like I was not on the debate team. I was not your stereotypical. I was going to be a lawyer since the time I was five years old. I mean, I love that dedication because I feel like that's how I was as well. And I was a poli-sci major with a minor in philosophy. Not that I think most attorneys or the trend I remember reading back in the day was they were psychology majors or they were, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and that's fascinating to me. And I wish I had known that because I feel like psychology would have been helpful because as attorneys in the area of special education, Amanda and I, you know, there's 13 different types of eligibility categories categories and then there's a catch-all and we come across I mean so many different types of kiddos with chromosome deletions and different types of learning differences and trying to kind of just grasp the concept really within the last few years because of this podcast of the neuroplasticity of our brains right like it's so Mm -hmm. intriguing to me this area of the law because it's from the, you know, it's the 70s. It's not even that old compared to like contracts, right? Like contracts. That is so true. Right? Exactly. And yeah. A lot of this, like disability rights and as far as policy and legislation really did begin with the 70s. Yeah. And then we saw that overhaul happen in the 90s. And then we see yep. slightly more happening with the ADA amendments in 08. So it's not, I always remind people that think that it's very new, that it's new and it's old all at once. Absolutely. And Everyone I think thinks that it's very new, like, okay, this is something of the seventies. It's not like contract law that we have a body going all the way back. Right. But then again, when people say we don't haven't had enough time to do this inclusion stuff, I'm like, well, you have, because all of these laws are older than me. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Had plenty of time. Yeah. That's kind of the, like, I just like to remind people, like, just so you know, this is older than me. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for Amanda and I, it's a little different now, but when we first started, which for me was like nine years ago, because I saw that pop up on my Facebook and I was like, what? <laughs> you know, the trend was... I am an attorney. I've been an attorney for 10, 15 years. I have a child with a disability. I get into special education law, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we started kind of seeing now with some of the interns that we've had in the past, I grew up with my sibling having a disability and seeing IEPs. And Amanda and I never really fit into that, right? Like I have a cousin on the spectrum, but that wasn't my driving force, right? Amanda had told me about the special education clinic and I was like, oh, okay, let me see if I can, you know, do this for a couple of units. And I absolutely fell in love with it, right? And Amanda had come to law school knowing that that's what she wanted to do, right? And so we didn't have that, you know, we didn't have a child with a disability or we didn't have, you know, a sibling. And so it was really unique for us. And we are constantly trying to educate ourselves about all these different areas. And, I, you know, for you, we had kind of talked about this a little bit, but just being able to relate on such a different level, right, as you get more and more into disability rights. Is that something that you kind of have seen through your, like, speaking engagements and, you know, the work that you were kind of getting into right after law school, or was it a little different? Interesting yes and no, mm. because my first job out of law school that I took when I was a summer associate at my two-all year and the job that I took after graduation, I was actually practicing in healthcare and international law. So okay. complete 180, completely different thing. And I realized for me, at least when it came to like that job hunt and all those things in law school, that they put a lot of, when you are an attorney or a law student with a disability, you already know how much the deck, the deck is stacked against you. You already mm. know how ridiculous the unemployment rates are for autistic people. You already know that professionals with disabilities have a huge salary disparity. We get paid less. It's mm-hmm. pretty bad for lawyers. I had to research all of this and it made me really depressed. Yeah. So... There's all sorts of things to think about. And our profession, again, is really bad about disability. So mm-hmm. for me, when I was going through law school and job hunting, it was very okay. practical. I was doing speaking. I was always doing advocacy work, like on the side type thing. But I didn't think it was going to be a career-defining thing. I didn't want it to be. At the time, I thought, like, you know, I want to be an attorney. I want to be a litigator. I want to do the thing. I yeah. don't know what that means necessarily, but I wanted to do it. And I wanted to prove I could because so often we just hold – people to stereotype and we hold people that do the thing even once or twice on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. So I really just wanted to do, I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. And I just wanted to prove those stereotypes wrong. So I was really glad at first that my first job was not in disability rights. I'm honestly better for it. And I'm glad that I came to that work more organically and more passionately than this is what I'm supposed to do because it's what people expected me. Not right. every woman right. is going to be all about feminism and gender equality, for instance, you know? Right. Yeah. Even though it may be important to you, it doesn't define who you are or who you have to be. Exactly. Like, autism is a huge part of my identity. In many ways, it does define me. But it's not everything about me it's like you do know i have other interests and talents and things that i think are fun right (laughs) people like it's not a full personality i promise yeah and it doesn't mean that i'm friends with every autistic person ever it doesn't mean we all get along it doesn't mean we're all the same we're not a monolith right i've been saying this a lot people just love to group things and people and i think that's probably the biggest thing that um and and i have to combat even just at the school level is that you know no not all children with autism are going to fit in 
this all autism class, you know, like Mm -hmm. we have to have it individualized and, and that is just so hard for so many people to grasp. And that's just maybe because of a lack of training, you know, or it's either, you know, top down. I've had this more recently where it's just like, you know, if you have somebody at the top that's super supportive, if you have a principal that's supportive of the special education population or has a special education background, that school's going to run a heck of a lot different than a principal that doesn't even have the special education population on their radar. And I'm generalizing, and I don't mean to, but just based on my experiences with some of the schools that we deal with, that's what it feels like, right? And, you know, it's okay for it to not be on your radar, but once it is, you know, how are you going to deal with that? And I think that's why, you know, oftentimes we have to file complaints to kind of just grab their attention. And I wonder what your experience was in elementary, middle school, or even high school. Were you part of your IEPs? Did you have an IEP? How was that experience? Okay. I was a private school kid. So I was more in the 504 arena of things. Okay. But when I knew that I was autistic, I found out when I was nine, I used to go to the meetings every year with teachers at the beginning of the year. Because Mm -hmm. it was important. I think I'm one of those people that always advocates for children and students to be involved in their IEPs and 504 plans no matter what. If they're old enough to understand or set a goal or have a goal that they'd like or something they'd like their teacher to know, I think they're old enough to be there. That collection of documents ultimately is there for their better like their betterment, their education, and it's about them. It's not about the parent. It's not about the teacher. It's not about the school district, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. that's how I kind of see it. And the goals that a young person has are not always the same goals that a parent or teacher has for them. Right. Like, for me, my biggest goal in school was, you know, to make friends with girls. Because all of my friends were boys. I wanted ah. to be friends with a girl. Yeah. Like, that was something that was a big goal for me. And I remember being at an IEP or 504 meeting at the time being like, I just want to be friends with girls. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, that was my goal. That's all I wanted. How was that I, received? How did the team react? Yeah. What did they say? <laughs> but, I mean, my mom and my teacher were totally cool with it. And then it's like, okay, there's a new girl coming into our class this year. We'll make sure that you're seated with her so then you get to know her. Hopefully that'll help. Like, you know, just like little things like that or even just assigning me different partners and group projects. Like, there were ways that we would work on this, but... I think it was always important for me to make friends, but I think that specificity, like that specific goal that I had helped inform it to be better. Because of course I had like my one or two friends that I played video games with because I was friends with all the boys. But like I wanted to make some new friends. I wanted to be friends with the girls because I was always excluded and didn't feel that I belonged with them. And I didn't struggle academically or anything. So that was never something that I would think is important. And like, I never thought about not like a lot of the times in my, I'd be at the front of the room because I could for like attention purposes and I didn't think anything of it. I was right. like, okay, mom wants me at the front of the room. I didn't realize it was, I mean, like when you're nine, you're not thinking, oh, this means I can't pay attention or something or right. I just get distracted. Or, right. like, like I realized now I'm like, oh, it's because I'd probably do it. And I realized when I got to high school and I stopped sitting at the front, I'm like, oh, it's because I do it only class to help me regulate my attention. And that upset many a... My U.S. history teacher in high school, I remember she did not like that I doodled, and then I did really well on her test. Oh, really? (laughs) She thought I never paid attention. Yeah, right. And that, see, that's her issue, right? In Mm -hmm. thinking that maybe she had somebody in the past that doodled and didn't do well, or maybe she couldn't do that, right? And so then it's like, instead of stopping and asking the student, which is what Amanda was getting to before. It helped me do well. Yeah. It helped me understand and be able to keep my attention focused. Right. No, I know. I, I mean, had it a... It didn't help that I was one of the art kids, so my doodles were pretty elaborate. <laughs> definitely wasn't paying attention. But... Right. I had one of my best friends from law school. He would just G-chat, like, everybody, like, during bar prep. Yep. 
And I was like, I cannot do that. Like, please don't G-chat me. Like, I need to pay attention. But for him, he understood everything that was having his, like, auditory processing skills were just, like, out of this world, right? And he needed that. Well, I remember one day he's like, okay, I tried not to G-chat. And he was like, I couldn't pay attention. And it was just like, that's you just have to accept him for it, right? And, like, that's his thing. And, like, I remember having that thought process, right, of, like, being angry. Like, oh, my gosh, just leave me alone. But then also trying. Everybody just gets there differently. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's what, I mean, overall, like whether it's intentional or not, I think that's what you're doing, right? Is getting out in the legal profession and just showing people like, I'm just like everybody else. We all have our little things, idiosyncrasies, right? Or whatever that are unique to us. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, having an extra layer of a formal medical diagnosis, right? It's just, it is what it is. We're all human, right? Uh And I think that is the beauty with you deciding, you know, what it is, you know, being an attorney, being an author, like we can put as many labels on it as we want. But at the end of the day, I think your overall message and why we really wanted you on the podcast was to show people that, you know, it's just one other label that we put on everybody, right? And Mm -hmm. we need to move away from just completely following one label of you are autistic, so this means X, Y, and Z. You can say you are autistic or a person living with autism, but you can be whatever it is that you want to be. I think that's the hardest thing for parents to understand too, because it's so scary. Is that there's kind of no real, like the only limit, like, the limit that you should set should be healthy boundaries, I think, that are between you and your child. Like, your child knows themselves really well. I don't think you should be the one who's kind of dictating like they can't ever do something. Right. You never know. Right. Absolutely. And development, the thing with development and developmental disabilities is I think everything's just on a wacky timeline anyway. Yeah. Just because I couldn't do it then doesn't mean I can't do it now. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I think a lot of times parents either forget or maybe don't realize from the get-go. And we're often trying to you know, explain to even general education teachers or, you know, IEP teams of, Mm -hmm. you know, just because they may be at a certain point now doesn't mean that things won't change or can't change. And I think that's something that a lot of times it's that preconceived notion that comes from that label of, well, if they're not at this milestone by this age, then that's just where we are. That we see a lot of times with like the Mm -hmm. um, going from handwriting, oh, well, we'll just go to typing because it's just too hard but it's like well mm-hmm. we could use a little bit more practice and maybe you know maybe they're going to get there at a different or maybe just revisit it later on mm-hmm. yeah yeah like it doesn't mean that it's not like now does not mean never right I exactly think not now does not mean never is something we don't hear enough yep i agree now does not mean never now that's going to be one of my new mantras thank you <laughs> <laughs> like not right now is not that it's never going to happen right so like just because I couldn't tie my shoes at six or seven doesn't mean I would never, ever tie my shoes and I should do a floor Velcro until the day I die. Right. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Haley, as we kind of wrap up, what's also, one thing... I'm not going to lie, the Velcro sneakers are so cool. They light up. Well, yeah, they do. <laughs> and then now they even... You could get wheels on the bottom if you really wanted to. My childhood, exactly. I completely like, missed why? that. Exactly. And then we should just be accepting of that. That's a whole other conversation about how we could go... We could talk about milestones and also be acceptance in terms of sneakers. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Haley, what's one thing that you would want people to know about you, about your journey, about your work? What is it that you would want them to know? If all you get out of me is once I was a nonverbal autistic kid and now I'm a lawyer, I did something wrong. 
So that's not the message that I want to send. Yeah. That's not what I want people to take away from me. I want people to, the message that I want to send is I want people to be open to learning new things. I want them to feel comfortable and uncomfortable confronting their own biases and realize we're all in this together, right? Like we all want the world to be more inclusive. We want things Mm -hmm. to be more accepting. We want Mm -hmm. more accessibility. Yes. Is that, and that the autistic and disabled people in your life aren't broken. Mm. They are exactly Mm -hmm. as they are meant to be. And it's just we need to make sure that the world is ready for them because they surely are ready to be part of our world completely and be integrated as much as possible. Oh, my God. I love that. So it's just about (laughs) so it's about access and equity and inclusion at the end of the day. Absolutely. I mean, perfectly said. Thank you, Haley. How can people reach out and listen to more people that aren't me? Yeah. I'm not the only voice. I do not claim to speak for a whole group of people. Right. Right. I really want to pass the mic as much as possible to people who are multiply marginalized and have this experience as well, because it's really, that's something that I'm, I think is important and I learn a lot. Yeah. So, and we're all learning together. Like I'm learning, you two are learning, like we're all mm-hmm. in this together, right? Absolutely. That's just how it is. And I think the minute we come to grips with that, we are all better for it. You're preaching to the choir, girl. Like I'm with Wait, it. None of us are perfect in this. No. Advocacy is messy. It, it is. certainly is. And the pep talk that I needed, because it's been real rough out here in the world <laughs> of special education, for sure, and trying to navigate Absolutely. these new waters. Haley, how can people reach out to you? Um, do you, are your, is there an email or social media networks Absolutely. that they can get you at? I am very online. So you can find me at HaleyMoss.net or you can find me on all major social media. So I do Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at HaleyMossArt. Oh, excellent. I implore you to reach out to Haley if you have any questions or if you want to get her for your everybody's doing work inclusivity now, obviously in this post-COVID world where we're all very familiar with Zoom. But yeah, reach out to Haley. Haley, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on to our little podcast. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you both for having me. All right. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed and we hope that you have a good day. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.